Exciting episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and this episode is a proud contributor to the JL May 2019 crossover. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the reanimated Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Brains! Brains! <laughs> they don't actually say that in here. <laughs> no, but they say it in my favorite zombie movie, so therefore it's good enough for me. Perfect. Excellent. Yes, folks, we are here to talk about Blackest Night as part of the JL May 2019 crossover. <laughs> Everybody calm down. <laughs> Everyone's very, very excited about this. <laughs> and so our, our role as part of this crossover is we're going to be covering Blackest Night number three. And since this is an Aquaman and Firestorm podcast, we're also going to talk about Firestorm, Aquaman, and Mera and their journey through this series. So real quick, if, if you're just tuning in, if this is your first time listening to our show, we sincerely appreciate you stopping by. And if not, uh, if, if you are a regular contributor, either before this episode or after this episode, be sure to check out our partners in this crossover. Be sure to listen to The Lantern Cast and our thanks to little Chad Bokelman for organizing this whole big crossover. Uh, doing, uh, doing these podcast crossovers or blog crossovers, they are a real burden on the organizer. Let me tell you, it is very hard to herd the cats, and Ch Chad has done a great job herding the cats. So thank you, Chad. Also, check out episodes contributing, including the podcast of Oa, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idle Head of Diablo, Head Speaks, Comic and Coffee, Coffee, ugh, I can say it. Sorry, Clinton. Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, Dr. DC Podcast, and The Birds of Prey Podcast. Lots of folks involved. People will be covering different numbered issues and also some of the side projects, and it's going to be a great thing for JLMA. You can also follow the hashtag. Obviously, hashtag JLMA or JLMA2019. So uh, I, I'm excited about this. Rob, did you read this when it first came out? I did. I did. I was very. Oh. I mean, I love the artwork, and uh, obviously, uh, Mira. I knew Mira was uh, taking center stage in it, and Aquaman, uh, albeit a zombified version, was in it. So yeah, <laughs> I, I bought this uh, every month. And 2009. It's been 10 freaking years. I can't believe that. Oh my gosh! Wow. 
And so, and that's part of the reason we're doing it for this year is, is the celebration of that. But I just can't, it's just hard to believe that it's been that many years. So, and if you look at the creative team involved, I mean, it's Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado. Hmm. Yeah. Those guys uh, still around perhaps. Yeah. I mean, the state, the stage was being set. We didn't know it at the time, but it, but it was. Yeah, crazy. Well, before we get too much further, we should take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Well, as I mentioned, of course, Mira takes center stage in this series, so I would talk about I'm presenting a Mira miniseries, which is the Mira Queen of Atlantis trade paperback. We covered uh, this miniseries on this very show a bunch of episodes ago. It's by Dan Abnett and Lan Medina with a cover by uh, Stanley Lau. The price is, uh, it's, uh, I don't know the page count, but it's, I think it's four. It's just, it's probably like 144 pages or so. The normal price is $16.99. In stock of trades price is $9.85. You save 42% off. Except if you love Mira, and we know you do, you'll enjoy <laughs> Mira, Queen of Atlantis, the miniseries. Let's see. Uh, sexy redhead. Awesomely powerful, super cool character. Yeah, okay. Not a hard sell, folks. Uh, I myself have brought Blackest Night Rise of the Black Lanterns trade paperback. And this was an interesting one. It collects seven different issues. And what they did during Blackest Night, because it's all about resurrecting dead people, dead superheroes, whatever, they actually resurrected some comic book series that had been previously canceled. So they put in a new issue of Adam and Hawkman. They put out a new issue of The Question. They put out a new issue of Phantom Stranger and Starman and Power Shazam and these different books. And uh, the idea was it's like, you know, Starman ended with issue, I think it was 81 or 80, something like that. So they published issue 82, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, It's pretty cool. And so this collects all of those, plus uh, there was a Catwoman, a Weird West Tales, uh, there was a Green Arrow issue, an Adventure Comics. So all in told, you get 256 pages, uh, a lot of it written by like Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, and other folks, art by Ryan Souk, Dennis Cohen, and other people. Again, it's, each issue is its own little independent thing, so it's this fun little smattering of the DC Universe. To, uh, full color, normal retails for $19.99. You can get it for 42% off right now for $11.59 on InStockTrades.com, which is a heck of a deal. And it's a super fun little collection. So, folks, for these and all your collected trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the Contact Us button and let them know that the Fire & Water podcast sent you. All right. So before we get into issue number three, I was going to talk a little bit about Firestorm's journey to Blackest Night because it was a bit of a winding road for the character. Uh, you know, Firestorm, of course, is made up of multiple people, which made it a little even more confusing. So Ronnie Raymond, who's traditionally known as Firestorm, he died in Identity Crisis number five in 2004. Uh, if, you, if you've read Identity Crisis and you remember Ronnie's death, it was not a glorious death by any means. It was simply a, like an on-the-job kind of accident. He got pierced by Shadow Thief's sword. And he dies. So then uh, around the same time, Firestorm Volume 3, Number 1 comes out, where the Firestorm Matrix comes crashing down on Jason Rush. And he's transformed into the new Firestorm. Well, Jason uh, went through a whole bunch of rotating cast members as, as his second partner. You know, he, uh, he had folks like, let's see, uh, his buddy Mick Wong was often paired with him. He eventually paired with Professor Martin Stein. He even paired with Firehawk for a while. And by the end of his series, when his series ended, he was paired with his girlfriend, uh, a young lady named Jenna. And that's G-E-H-E-N-N-A. It's a very unusual spelling. spelling. And uh, Jenna was uh, – <laughs> you're going to love this, Rob. She was uh, – even though she looked like an, a very adult teenager, uh, Asian-American in her late teens, she was actually only six or seven years old. Kind of creepy. Hmm. She she was a genetically engineered daughter of Henry Hewitt. And if that name rings a bell, that's because that was Firestorm's old foe, Tokamak, from the first annual of, of Fury <laughs> Firestorm. 
I know, comics. It's complicated. So anyway, she ends up her, – her and Jason end up in a relationship. She has her own superpowers, which lets her teleport over short distances, and she has like a psychic connection with Jason. So she and Jason end up becoming Firestorm, and, and this is after his series is over. And so they're kind of bouncing around from book to book. They join the Justice League for a little while there. They're in Countdown to Final Crisis and a number of different things. So as Black as Night series opens, uh, Jason and Jenna, again, are Firestorm. And uh, in the first issue, they're visiting Ronnie Raymond's grave with Professor Stein, and Professor Stein is there. He's no longer part of the Firestorm Matrix, though, and he's uh, he's very broken up about Ronnie's death, and he because he thinks of Ronnie as his own son, and that's really that sort of sets the stage for where Firestorm is when this series begins. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about where Mera and Aquaman were leading up to Blackest Night? Yeah, well, very briefly, uh, the, the previous Aquaman series before Black Knight was uh, Aquaman sort of Atlantis, which, of course, Woo! featured Ar- Ar- Arthur Joseph. And the older Aquaman had become that squid-faced dweller of the depths guy. And in that series, he died. Uh, he dies in the series, and his body disseminates into basically water particles, and he becomes part of the sea. Uh, and that's and now Mira was an ongoing character in that book, and she was sort of like – she wasn't like training Arthur Joseph, but she was – mentoring him in some loose way because she was, you know, my husband was was Aquaman, you're the new Aquaman or whatever. And that series ended with Arthur, Arthur Joseph actually claiming the mantle of Aquaman, saying, I'm going to go forth and try and be worthy of the name Aquaman. He never really got that chance because he essentially disappeared after that. Uh, so this series opens the I was going to say, what, whatever did happen to him? Did, did, did they just, just stop he, using he him? He just disappeared. I, I think that's his final appearance. I don't think he ever got used again. Uh, and so as as Black as Night opens, Mira has buried uh, Aquaman, although there's no body per se, but she's created grave for him on land. And the first issue opens with Tempest saying he should be buried in Atlantis next to the other kings of Atlantis and his son. Uh, and Mira said, well, no, Atlantis treated him so poorly. I want him on the land. He'd want to be here near the lighthouse with his father. And that's how that – you know, that's basically that how that uh, – that series open is that that Mira's you know mourning the loss of her husband. You know, it's interesting. I think the series implies incorrectly that there was a corpse for Aquaman. Right. Uh, they, I don't. I don't know how they reconcile that because in the sort of Atlantis, his body. I remember this li- literally disseminates into water particles. Like yeah. that was the whole thing. So, but you know, yeah. it's comics. So. Right, because comics. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get really into it, the weeds, and you start talking about how another version of Aquaman appeared during Final Crisis, but it was a multiverse version. I mean, it gets confusing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, folks, uh, we are going to get into issue number three in just a second. But first, we're going to play the promo for JL May. You can hear it right here uh, as they talk about all the other people involved in the podcast. So with that, I'll just say, JL May, rise! John Jones of Mars. Katmatui of Gorgar. Ronnie Raymond of Earth. Al Brat of Earth. Ginny Lindney. Arthur Curry. Carter Hall. Kendra Son. Ted Gord, Arani Desai, Paco Ramon, Hank Haywood, David Knight, Erwin Bowen, Wesley Dodds, Charles McNighter, Gary Sloan, Tara Markov. Right. 
Ten years ago, a crashing wave of light erupted across the DC universe. A multicolored spectrum of energy bathed the cosmos in a war of light. Rage clashed against passion. Hope sought to stifle fear. Greed to choke out compassion. And in the middle of it all, the will to keep going and fight for all. Now this war has come to the surface of our planet, because while the light fights, the darkness rises. Hero, villain, friend, foe, family. Across the universe, the dead have risen, and it's going to take every available podcaster to fight back. In 2016, we covered the dawn of the Justice League with Justice League Year One. In 2017, we soaked in the seminal justice. Last year, we threw it back to the Silver Age. But this year's JLMA podcast event covers an event that knows not the boundaries of death itself. JLMA covers Blackest Night in celebration of the event's 10-year anniversary. Our coverage begins on April 30th with the podcast of OA and proceeds through the entire month of May with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idolhead of Diablo, The Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, The Doctor DC Podcast, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, and Ends with the Lantern Cast. So join us this May, because across the DC Universe, the dead have risen. Where will you be? All right, folks, we are now going to talk about Blackest Night number three. Cover dated November 2009 on the shelf, September 16th, 2009. Now, the main cover was by Ivan Reese, Eau Claire Albert, I don't know if I said that right, and Alex Sinclair, and it features the Black Lantern Justice League is what they're calling it. You've got the black hand in the middle, and he's surrounded by all these dead Justice Leaguers like Martian Manhunter and Hawkman and Hawkgirl and Elongated Man and Sue Dibney and uh, a version of Firestorm and a version of Aquaman, all as Black Lanterns. And, of course, Black Hand is holding very creepily the Batman skull. Now, more importantly, there is a variant cover for this issue, which was drawn by Ethan Van Skyver, which features Firestorm very heavily, which is great, because Firestorm doesn't usually get this kind of like special attention or recognition in the DC universe. So it's very exciting to see him on the cover of a, uh, a major crossover. It's, uh, it's the Jason Rush Firestorm, and he's on the ground like he's trying to crawl away from something. And behind him, standing over him very menacingly, is a Black Lantern version of Firestorm, who's all it's, – it's a really great costume. It's black and silver, and the, and the glowing flames coming out of his skull face are all just like reverse negative so where it'd be black it's white it just it looks really super cool and around them coming out of caskets are firestorm's foes there are black lantern versions of killer frost the weasel rob's favorite the weasel <laughs> uh, enforcer, <laughs> enforcer and black bison and also uh, do you have can do you have a copy of the variant cover by chance rob can you see it i do at all 
Okay. If you well, this is one of the things I really love about it. If you look in Firestorm's hair, you can see all the various lantern symbols in the flaming mane of hair. You can see like the blue lantern symbol and the and the yellow lantern, and you, you can kind of see them in the flames. It's really really neat. I have never noticed that till this moment. So uh, what, what do you you know? I'm just curious. What do you think of the? And, and I'm not trying to shortchange the black man, black lantern Aquaman design, but it's because it just looks pretty much like Aquaman. But what do you think of the black lantern Firestorm? Uh, no, I think it looks nice. I like it a lot, actually. I, and I love what they did with the flames. It just looks so. I mean, because a lot of the other black lanterns, they just gave a normal face for whatever reason. They decided with Firestorm to give his face like just a skull and all the flames coming out of it. it looks a little Ghost Rider-ish, but the blue just looks so striking. In fact, it was so striking that they kept the character around after Blackest Night. They kept it around. They turned him into Deathstorm. They made action figures. They made statues out of the Black Lantern. <laughs> Seriously, the Black. I'm, I'm looking. I'm at laughing because I know it's true. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, on, on on my shelf here a Black Lantern Firestorm action figure, a Black Lantern Firestorm little itty bitty action figure, like these little cute ones. Uh, I've got hero clicks. I've got statues. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So nuts. All right, well, let's get into this, folks. Uh, writer is Jeff Johns uh, in the issue itself. Writer is Jeff Johns, pencilers Ivan Reese, anchors are Eau Claire Albert and Joe Prado. And I want to say this might be one of Joe Prado's first issues inking here with uh, Ivan Reese. And uh, colors by Alex Sinclair. Now, uh, I've, do- I've got a recap here, and I want to give full credit to the DC database wiki. I did crib quite a bit of it from there, so thank you to them. Sorry for this, folks. I, I started writing it up and realized it was a, a bigger challenge than I thought it was going to be. So, uh, the issue opens with Jason Rush and his girlfriend Jenna struggling as they discuss their relationship. Jenna wants to get married one day and start a family with Jason. Jason wants that as well, but right now he's more concerned with finishing college. And it doesn't make it any easier that Jenna can read Jason's mind when they're merged as Firestorm. She can sense what Jason's really feeling, uh, regardless of what he says or doesn't say out loud. Suddenly, during this discussion, the JLA communicator begins to go off, so they've got to go off and be heroes. Over in Gotham City, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen are fighting the Black Lantern Justice Leaguers, including evil versions of Martian Manhunter, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, Elongated Man and his wife Sue, and Firestorm. Now, Black Lantern Firestorm is uh, is a version of Ronnie Raymond, and he says that without Professor Stein, the Firestorm Matrix in him has a hole, and he's unable to provide the chemical formulas to convert matter, and says that Barry Allen would actually make a very good substitute. Barry tries to pull the Black Lantern ring off of Firestorm, but it has grown roots into Ronnie's hand. Ew! And the fight continues, and Ray Palmer, the Atom, arrives on the scene to help. Now, over at the Hall of Justice, Firestorm, again, Jason and Jenna, observe events going on on the monitors. When Mara appears, and Mara states that she has sent the distress signal after she and Tempest were attacked by uh, Black Lantern Aquaman. In Gotham City, Elongated Man and Sue Dibney attack the Atom, reading his emotions as compassion. Ralph derides Ralph, uh, Ray for still loving Jean Loring after she murdered Sue. Just as Elongated Man is about to kill the Atom, the Indigo Tribe appears and attacks the Dibneys. The Indigo Tribe then teleport Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, and Ray Palmer to the Hall of Justice, where they meet up with Firestorm and Mara. The leader of the Indigo Tribe, who goes by the name Indigo One, then gives us the big ol' info dump. <laughs> uh, in the beginning, there was darkness. There were um, then there was the white light of creation, which making sentient beings. Eventually, the darkness fought back, splintering the white light into the seven different lights of the emotional electromagnetic spectrum. 
That's where you get all your different cores from, folks. Uh, with the seven lights of the spectrum now harnessed, the darkness concerning the living beings' invaders is trying again. On their own, the seven lights are unable to harm the Black Lanterns. But when combined with the green light of willpower, they are able to weaken the Black Lanterns and leave them vulnerable. Indigo 1 says that the seven cores must unite to replicate the white light, which will reveal where the Black Rings are coming from. Hal is needed to do this because of his Green Lantern ring and his willpower, and he has connections with the leaders of the other cores, such as Sinestro and Carol Ferris. Suddenly, the, the Black Lantern uh, Justice Leaguers arrive, and the Indigo tribe teleports Hal Jordan away. The Black Lantern Firestorm then gets in there. Oh, this is nasty. He forcibly separates Jason and Jenna. He then forcibly absorbs Jason, using him as, as the other half of the Black Lantern Firestorm Matrix. The Black Lantern Firestorm then torments Jenna, turning her into table salt and ripping out her heart. Yes, the Black Lantern Firestorm grotesquely murders Jenna. Uh, Jason's continued emotional state uh, further feeds the power levels of the Black Lantern Corps. As the remaining heroes fight on, more Black Lantern rings descend upon the Hall of Justice, commanding the dead villains in the morgue to rise. And that is the end of the issue. And then you get the last page, which is uh, our last two pages is this text piece. It's called the Book of Bla the Book of the Black, Chapter One, Verse Two. I'm not going to go into all that. It's just a backhand um, background on Black Hand. But oof, man, Rob, that's a lot to take in. Now, should we? Uh, should we talk about the issue and our feelings, or should we? Yeah, why don't we do? It? Why don't we talk about the issue and our feelings, and then we can talk about sort of the journey uh, of Blackest Night. So, uh, how did you feel about this issue? Um, well, my main takeaway from Blackest Night uh, remains the same as it was at the time: is that I'm I was grateful for what it did for Mira, and it was mm -hmm. clear that now this issue she's not as she doesn't have as big a role. Uh, but but nevertheless, uh, Jeff Johns clearly decided you know, this was the thing he was going to use to propel Mira to essentially like A-list status. Uh, before this, she was always, I think you would argue, an Aquaman supporting character. Mm -hmm. And I think with this, she just became basically the, the Hawk woman to, to Aquaman's Hawkman. Like they're partners mm. now. Uh, I think at this point, if you did an Aquaman book without Mira, people would be like, "What? Where'd Mira go?" You know, like right. it would just yeah. it would be so missing. I mean, there's a reason why she's so prevalent in the movie and all the toys and everything else. And that's ultimately that was the the, the to me the biggest um, benefit to this series was that by making Aquaman be the one of the bad guys, you're making Mira the hero. And you know, th th I enjoyed that because I think she's a great character uh, as drawn by, uh, of course, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado and Eau Claire Albert. She looks phenomenal. She looks like a superhero. I always said that Mira looks great with the justice league. Like she looks like she fits in as a member of the team. So uh, I like her and I like her here. I love that. You know, like she uses Aquaman's teleportation, uh, trans you know, access to get into the the satellite, and her first thing is to try and stab Firestorm with a trident. Like that's just like, her, a hothead, you know. Like, hey, who are you? <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So you know, I mean, like this. I'm going. We're going macro here a little bit. Like this is the kind of thing where this is the sort of series that I wish they hadn't done because I just don't feel like I needed to see my heroes get put through these paces. But if you're going to do it, I think they did it about as effectively as possible because. It was a compelling story. It was fun to read. And boy, howdy, does it look great. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, so, so beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned the Mara stabbing Firestorm thing because 
It's funny. I, I reread the whole Blackest Night in preparation for this. And my memory reading this thing is that Firestorm and Mera were really, really connected in this series. Like in my mind, they made a connection and I felt like they were kind of partnering up and becoming pals. I'm like, yeah, Mera and Firestorm, this is great. Rereading it. Not at all. It's like right. a couple of panels in this right. issue. Yeah. <laughs> and that month between issue three and four, I must have just made up all kinds of adventures <laughs> for them to have in, the, in those panels. Because I really felt like there was a connection between the characters. And that's not the case at all. Do you, wanna, okay. do you want to share your fanfic with Shag? Right. I, I, it's slash fic. But anyway. Uh, I mean, come on. It's Mara. She's hot. Um, so things to talk about here. Now, I read this back in 2009 when it first came out. And I was all in, folks. Let me tell you, I was seriously all in. I, I had been a big fan of Green Lantern when, when Kyle Rayner was around. I sort of uh, fell off after Rebirth because I wasn't happy that Hal was back. But then when Sinestro Corps came along, I jumped back in, and I freaking loved the Sinestro Corps War. It was great. And so when Blackest Night came along, I was so I was primed. I was into it. I went and got all the different giveaway rings. I don't know if you remember that. Where they, they did all the giveaway rings. You could mm-hmm. have one yeah, for each that. tribe. I've still got all mine. Um <laughs> And there's a lot of powerful themes going on here. I mean, life versus death is a big story involved here. There's the whole idea that powerful emotions cause the Black Lanterns to gain power, which is, you know, that's why the Black Lantern Firestorm kills Jenna, is to get an emotional response out of Jason, which then continues to push up their power level. I mean, they even say, like, at one point that that their Black Lantern battery has gone up by, like, 6 or 7% just because of Jason's, you know, emotional outrage. Um... So, you know, we should we should probably talk about the the elephant in the room, at least from a firestorm perspective, is the murder of Jenna. Um, that's that's a pretty big deal, you know. Um, as, as, the, yeah, there's different ways to look at it. One of the things revealed in the series is that these Black Lantern versions of these heroes are not really the resurrected heroes. Like Black Lantern Firestorm is not really. Ronnie Raymond and Black Lantern Aquaman is not really Aquaman. The way they described it was it's more like um, the, the Black Lantern ring is wearing the corpse. So rather than like the corpse wearing the ring, the ring's wearing the corpse. It's the, the, the ring is animating the body. Right, right, right. Yeah, because Ronnie would never murder anyone like that. Certainly, not, you know, not well, anyone at all. So, I mean, it was an incredibly gruesome scene, you know, where he, he turns her to table salt and then and the whole time Jason's screaming, don't do this, don't do this. I love you, Jenna. I want a future with you. It's really heart-wrenching. Um, and so it's gruesome. And, and, and it even resonated with people that weren't fans of Firestorm. And, and the director's cut of Blackest Night number three, I, I, I looked this up, Jeff Johns was quoted. He goes, uh, that was the hardest death scene I ever wrote. Uh, the tor- <laughs> and Keep in mind, by 2009, he'd written a lot. Uh, he goes, that was the hardest death scene I ever wrote. The torture is not only of Jenna, but also Jason. I knew that this was going to have a major fallout well beyond Blackest Night into Brightest Day after Ronnie Raymond returned. Firestorm, like Aquaman and Martian Manhunter, is one of the DC mainstays, in my opinion, and deserves more spotlight in the center of the DCU. So it's great that Jeff appreciates Firestorm, but uh, the, the, this murder, I mean, it's – I realize what they're doing. They're clearing the decks so they can put Jason and Ronnie together as Firestorm. I mean, that's pretty obvious, and we dealt with it. We had that for years, but, I mean, it's it's really graphic. It is very disturbing. Um, I, did, how did it – as someone that probably had no connection to Jenna whatsoever, I and mean, you've probably never even seen this character before, what, what were your feelings when you are reading those scenes? Um, it makes me it makes me sad because, like you said, I don't have a great connection to the character. But it's she's a innocent sort of sweet character, and just to see her die like that is upsetting. You know, uh, other than that, I can't say it had a huge impact with me. I mean, I, like again, it's it's the I, I I find the whole concept of zombies in the DC universe to be 
two things that sit uneasily uh, with each other. I mean, you know, there was always Necron and stuff like that, and the, the, you know, and the, but there's just something about the grimness of it all that is just a little like eh, I just don't think these two things really fit together. And seeing Aquaman with his big zombie mouth and whatever, that's just sort of upsetting. <laughs> and it's sort of funny. I mean, like, there's the there's the scene in um, where the, the the we're back in the JLA headquarters, and we there's one panel of the JLA trophy room, mm-hmm. and there's statues of Steel, Vibe, and Aquaman. Of course, they are long since you know they're not dead. That's their memorial statues. And if you look way off to the left, there's a framed picture. And if you if you blow it up, you see that it is a reproduction of the cover to I think JLA number one hundred two or one hundred one, uh, <laughs> and it's a Nick Cardi cover where they talk about they they bury a, a hero and stuff, and it's all these all the members of the JLA around a around a grave, and yeah, obviously it's you know I mean of all the p- covers to put in there, you put one where it's about people burying somebody, which is thematically related. Um, but there's like an innocence to that that I think sits against it's uneasily with the kind of dark, violent tone of of this. Um, and it's weird that they're so consciously recalling it because it's like, well, you know, more innocent days and now we're having zombies eating people's faces and stuff. But <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, wander- yeah. <laughs> I'm wandering far afield. I can say that, that, that final sequence just made me sad because I like from what little I saw of the character, I liked her. And so to see her slowly dies it's like oh boy well it's um it's a it's a powerful scene uh it it really plays on the emotions but it's stepping back from it i really started thinking about it and and i i googled a term to make sure i was using it correctly um truthfully jenna basically she gets fridged is what happens to her here um and and if you're not familiar with the term fridging it it came up after kyle rayner's girlfriend alex was murdered and folded in half and shoved in a refrigerator and so uh, people started uh, – women in refrigerators started with Gail Simone, and the term fridging came along to basically mean it's a comic book trope where a female character are injured, raped, killed, or depowered in some way, often as a plot device intended to move a male character's story arc forward. Right. And that's really all this was. I mean Jenna served no other purpose in the story other than to get murdered and make Jason feel bad. And also clear the deck so Jason and Ronnie could be together as Firestorm. And so, I mean, she really and truly was fridged. And that's very – it's upsetting for me to even think – to realize that now. I, I don't know that I realized it back then because I was too caught in the moment of all of this happening. So that's that's disappointing. Um, not that – I mean, to be honest, she wasn't a great character. She wasn't very well developed. Um, and, and she was problematic to start with by Jason being as – it was like an Aresia situation kind of thing. You know, she's seven or eight years old and Jason's, you know – doing whatever Jason's doing with her. It's like, oh, mm. but um, anyway, it could have been other ways to take her out, you know, uh, of, of the series without that kind of horrible murder. Now it, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going around, I'm spinning around in circles for it here because it just, it, it was a big deal and yet it's very emotional. Now you mentioned zombies. Let's, I mean, obviously at this point, 2009, walking dead was already working its way into becoming a, a huge popularity. As far as comic books, zombies were on people's mind. The world war Z book was published and going crazy. So zombies were in the forefront of everyone's mind. So it, it's not too surprising that DC went this way, but it did it, it does sort of follow DC's sort of cycle of doing bright, bold. We're going to make it a, a brighter world. Like right after Infin- infinite crisis, it was like, everything's going to be better now. And then DC goes dark again. And that it went very dark with this series. Um, I mentioned, I, I loved it the first time I read it. But now rereading it for this, I, I got to be honest, it, it's very pretty to look at, but it is very bleak. It is very, very bleak. By like the first four issues, I was just like, I felt emotionally exhausted 
reading this because it was just one murder after another and the heroes losing and losing and losing. And, and I realized that's a Jeff Johns move. He always does the darkest before the dawn. And in the end of the series, things of course turn around and becomes very positive, but uh, it really, uh, it wore on me. The gruesomeness really, I think is kind of what it was. It just, it was a little too gruesome for my taste nowadays. Yeah. Like I said, my, my main takeaway is that it, it helps set the stage both within the DC universe and outside the DC universe for Aquaman's relaunch. Cause obviously it set the characters up in a good way because uh, when we'll get into what happened to them after this, but again, creatively where this is the Aquaman team that's going to take over. So, I mean, this yeah. is, you know, these, these guys were at the top of their top of their game and of all the books for them to take on, they took on Aquaman and that Aquaman's been basically smooth sailing ever since. No pun intended. Which is great. <laughs> Uh, I have some more general thoughts on Blackest Night, and then we'll get into sort of where our characters go from there. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I thought was kind of interesting in this was Necron comes along, right? And he reveals that he's responsible for all of the superhero resurrections over the last several years. Like, you know, Superman died and came back. Wonder Woman died and came back. Hal Jordan dies, comes back. Barry Allen dies, comes back. Superboy, Bart Allen, all these superheroes have died and come back. It became a joke. You know, every time a character died, it's like, okay, how soon are they going to come back? I mean, I want to say at Martian Manhunter's funeral, they even said, we wish him a speedy resurrection, I want to say. Um and so Necron says that he says that was me. I was keeping you guys from death's door. And it's like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, that they in order to explain away why so many people were resurrected, that he was involved in that. And um, one of the interesting things about this was, you know, at the end of this, editorially at DC, they basically said, okay, after this, we're done with all the resurrections. No, you know, somebody dies, they don't come back. Okay, guys. And of course, that you know, I wonder how long that really lasted. But there is a great apocryphal story how one of the writers who was writing the Teen Titans book at the time he killed Kid Devil, who was the sidekick of Blue Devil, and he had this great plan for bringing him back. And then he goes to DC to tell him how they're going to bring him back, and they're like, "Nope, sorry, Black as <laughs> Night, close the door on that. He stayed dead." <laughs> so uh, I'm sure Kid Devil came back at some point, but he was dead for a while at least. So that was kind of kind of fun. Well, not fun, but interesting, I should say. And then uh, one of the things also I think that kind of stuck with me about this Black as Night story is like reread at the time. Again, I was all in. I was super jazzed about it. But now, like as I reread it, it's not really a complete story unto itself. I mean it's really the third act of Jeff John's big Green Lantern arc. You know, it starts with Rebirth. Then you get Sinestro Corps War. Then you get Black as Night. And I can't really imagine anyone – and I'd be interested to hear from you folks at home if you're just reading Blackest Night for the first time or something. Put in the comments, I, I just can't imagine anyone walking in, reading the story for the first time, and understanding like even half of it. I mean the, the zombie part is not that hard. But as the story goes on and the Indigo tribe shows up and the, uh, you know, the Red Lantern Green show up and all the different you know, atrocities to make characters like, who the hell are all these people if you haven't been following Green Lantern? You know, where is all this coming from? Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I, <laughs> I was like, what? Right, okay, exactly. Who are these people? And, you know, maybe I'm not giving people enough credit. Maybe being thrown in the deep end is fine. I mean, my first exposure to DC Comics really was Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I, 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 you know, dog paddled my way through that. So um, now, the, uh, the, originally, the story was, as I understand it, was just going to be part of the Green Lantern books. Which made sense because that's thematically where all this stuff was coming from. Is you know uh, the Sinestro Corps War stuff and, and all in all the Lantern Corps and stuff like that was a Green Lantern concept, so it would make sense for it to be there. But after the popularity of Sinestro Corps War, DC was like, whoa, 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 we got event you know potential here, and so they wanted to turn this into a giant expanded event, and that's the story. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's what I've always heard. 
And, uh, and there's sort of evidence to that. In Blackest Night number zero, there's a, a letters page from Jeff Johns. And one of the things he actually does, he sort of addresses how both retailers and readers have been disappointed with events in the past. It's almost like he's apologizing for it being an event. Um, he's half assuring you it's going to be a good one and half sort of apologizing that it is an event. So I, f- I think that sort of backs up the idea that this wasn't really supposed to be an event originally. So, and obviously it was wildly popular. They had a million spinoff miniseries, some of which were excellent, some of which weren't as quite as good. And, and this really builds the whole War of Light idea, the whole Lantern Corps thing, where you've got all the, you know, the Skittles lanterns, taste the rainbow of all the different, you know, lanterns out there. And I've often said, I even remember 10 years ago, I said uh, that history would not be kind to the Rainbow Core of Lanterns. I said, you know what? Right now, we all love it. Right now, we think it's great. But I was like, you know, history, you know, I was like, 10 years from now, we're going to look back on this and everyone's going to think it's a joke. Well, we're here 10 years later. I don't think everyone thinks it's a joke. But there's not much of it around anymore, as far as I know. I don't think we have blue lanterns and green lanterns, or red, yellow lanterns and all that running around much anymore. I think it's all pretty much just green lantern stories nowadays. But I, I do think, given enough time, history is not going to look back too fondly on the idea of all the different colored lanterns. That's that's just my take on it. Could be just too much of a good thing, you know? I mean, yeah. it just becomes like, it loses its specialness if you, yeah, like a lot of things, you know, you get too much of it. Like, oh, okay, all right. I don't, I don't need yep. this much. Yeah. Well, why don't we get into where uh, the, the journey? What, why don't we talk about the journey through the rest of Blackest Night and and where the characters go from here? Um, I've been talking for a while. Uh, you want to start with uh, Mira and Aquaman, right? Well, in Blackest Night number six, uh, Mira's uh, rage, uh, this is <laughs> Mira's rage, uh, made her the ideal candidate from Earth to be a Red Lantern. So then, in number seven and eight. She fought as a Red Lantern. She gets transformed into one. And the conclusion when Aquaman returns to life, Mira's rage was compromised and the ring leaves her. Uh, when you become a Red Lantern, the ring takes over your heart. So when the red, ling- red ring left Mira, her heart stopped. She collapses and falls into cardiac arrest. Star Sapphire uses the power of love along with Aquaman's living heartbeat to bring Mira back. Uh, Aquaman and Mira are reunited for the first time in years. Uh, and then shortly after that, moving into Brightest Day, Aquaman... He's back and he's being a hero with Mira, but he's haunted by his past in the zombie form. There's a there's a scene where he looks into the 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 water and he sees his reflection and back looking back at him as in his zombie form. And the other problem is when he's calling his fitty friends, they come back as zombies. Like he's not just calling a shark, he's calling a zombie shark. He's not trying to, but that, that's what's coming up and that's upsetting him. And then later on, uh, we meet Siren. Uh, Mira's sister from Zebel, and then Mira ends up revealing to Aquaman that her original mission to come to this dimension was that to kill Aquaman, and that she fell in love with him, and that, again, that set the stage for later on stories, uh, later on down in the, the line, and then, of course, uh, we were only, what, like a year away from New 52 at that point? Right, so everything got rebooted anyway, yep. yeah. Now, you, you did fail to mention when you mentioned Siren, um, Mira's smoking hot sister, Siren. Well, I just, thought just that was that. implied. <laughs> So, all right, I don't – and I, I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't remember how that Aquaman calling the dead zombie Finny friends resolved. Do you remember how No, I really – no, I really don't. But that, that was part of the problem with Brightest Day, guys, is – everything Rob just described happened in Brightest Day. Um, was Brightest Day was another one of those weekly or biweekly series that went on for a long time, 26 issues, and by multiple writers, and it jumped around focusing on character to character. And a lot of it either just was hard to follow or – hard to remember or just didn't make a lot of an impact. It's just, it, it sort of meandered. It, it, they all wanted to capture, recapture the lightning in a bottle that was 52. 
because 52 was phenomenal as a weekly series. And then we got, you know, a fo- all the follow-ups subsequently have been sort of diminishing returns, finally with uh, what, Countdown to Infinite Crisis being, or Final Crisis being the worst one. But uh, so I, don't, I don't remember all the details of Brightest Day either. Like, Firestorm has a bunch of stuff that went on. I don't remember the details of it, really. Um, well, I'll, I'll go through Firestorm's journey uh, during and after Blackest Night. So throughout – so as you may recall in the descript, uh, in the recap I did, you know, Jason is part of the Black Lantern Firestorm Matrix now. He's trapped in there. So throughout Blackest Night, he pretty much stays trapped in the Black Lantern Firestorm Matrix, and he's struggling to free himself. Sometimes Jason's in control, but most of the time the evil Ronnie version is in control. At the end of Blackest Night, Necron's destroyed, and the White Lantern uh, resurrected 12 deceased heroes and villains. Ronnie Raymond was among those resurrected, and uh, we find out Ronnie and Jason are now fused as a new incarnation of Firestorm. And apparently with resurrection also comes new costumes. So, who knew? Uh, I think Aquaman had the uh, Mandarin collar, too, or something here, didn't he, when he was resurrected? Yes, he does. Yep. Uh, Ronnie doesn't seem to have any of his memories of uh, the events that took place after his death and identity crisis. So he doesn't remember when he appeared in Jason's Firestorm series. He doesn't remember the Black Lantern actions and all that. However, Jason still blames Ronnie for Jenna's death. And all this continues in a brightest day. And uh, and so this idea of Ronnie and Jason as partners with Firestorm, it lasts for a pretty long time. You know, they introduced it in 2009 with Blackest Night, right? It goes all the way to 2016. So it's seven years of them being partners until the uh, Legends of Tomorrow miniseries where Jerry Conway reset the uh, the, the the, the balance to be Ronnie and the Professor. Uh, now, at, and I mentioned this already, but after Blackest Night, the Black Lantern version of Firestorm proves to be so incredibly popular uh, because part of it, I think a lot of it just has to do with his look. They bring him back as a character and they give him a new name, Deathstorm. Woof, what a name. Um, and it's sort of fitting because, you know, it, Jeff Johns and Peter Tomasi, the guys who were writing Brightest Day, they did say that Deathstorm is supposed to be like a meta representation of the dark, hardcore characters, uh, comic book characters from the 1990s. I mean, he's always saying things like, that's bitchin' and gnarly and all this stuff. <laughs> and it explains his attitude and his dialogue and some of his appearance and stuff like that. So yes, Deathstorm went on to become quite popular. In fact, in the New 52, they brought Deathstorm back again, but another version is part of the crime syndicate. So, uh, so you know, here's an interesting thought, by the way. Totally, total digression. So, Jeff Johns writes Deathstorm in Black uh, in Blackest Night. He writes Deathstorm in um, whatever the, the the crime syndicate story was. I can't remember the name of that off the top. But Forever Evil, and in that, he made Deathstorm uh, an evil version of Professor Stein. And now he's writing uh, what is it, a Doomsday Clock? And Professor Stein, at least at this point in the series, appears to also be evil. So I think Jeff's got a problem with Professor Stein. That's twice now he's made Professor Stein evil. Hmm. I think Jerry Conway needs to talk to the young man. I, Jerry had some things to say online about this, but anyway. Um, so anyway, lots happens uh, to Firestorm after all that, and, but that's the recap of Blackest Night and how it affects Firestorm. And like you said, by, uh, shortly after Brightest Day, everything rebooted anyway. So if the, everything about Firestorm rebooted shortly after that. So that is their journey. Um, you know, at, at the end of it, I was thrilled they brought Ronnie back. It was very exciting. I know you were thrilled Aquaman came back. Uh, in fact, it wasn't too long after this we started the Fire and Water podcast, really. That's right. Because both characters were sort of on a resurgence, and, which is great. So I think that's pretty much going to cover it. I mean, I, I know I had some negative things to say about Blackest Night, but in general, I again, I love the comic when it was being published now, or when it was being published back then. I overall did enjoy the reread it is a lot darker and i mean it might be the same reason i don't watch walking dead anymore it's just i i'm in a different place mentally i think for this kind of uh, drama but uh overall though it's it's a fun read if you're into the green lantern world i think we've gotten more out of this issue of black night than anyone intended so i would say <laughs> yeah 
I'd say we're ready yes. to hand the podcast crossover over to the next chapter. Exactly, exactly. So, folks, again, here are the folks that are involved in the podcast crossover. So, check them out for JLMA, the Lantern Cast, the Podcast of Oa, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, the Idol Head of Diablo, Head Speaks. Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, Justice's First Dawn, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, Dr. DC Podcast, and Birds of Prey Podcast. So that is going to do it, folks. Please go out to our website. And Rob, what's that website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep, you can go out there, you can leave comments, let us know what you thought of this issue, let us know what you thought of Blackest Night, let us know what you think of the Black Lantern versions of Firestorm and Aquaman. We're also going to do an image gallery out there, so look for that post, where you can see pictures of Firestorm ripping out Jenna's heart and turning her to salt. Fun! Exactly! Hooray! Find your joy. (laughs) You can also find us on social media under the Fire and Water Podcast Network, FW Podcasts on Twitter, Fire and Water Podcast Network on Facebook. Rob, of course, can be found as the Aquaman Shrine on Twitter. I can be found as Firestorm Fan on Twitter as well. Reach out. We want to hear from you guys. And remember, use the hashtag JLMay to uh, get your thoughts out there. I think that's going to do it. Uh, Until next time, Rob, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever, yeah! What what happened? The Legion of Doom lured us into the swamp and somehow trapped us in these cases. But how did we get out? I don't know, Wonder Woman, but it seems we have more important things to worry about. Look! Holy Night Stalkers, those zombies are after us!